0: evening uh, So tonight as Pastor Shane said, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, behold the power of Christmas and that he said uh, he went ahead and spoiled it for everybody uh, so everybody knows what we're talking about tonight is the topic of the virgin uh, birth. but unfortunately we can't just jump right in uh, like I'd want to do. Unfortunately, like many topics in the Bible today, uh, our world is questioning the legitimacy of the virgin birth. There are many uh, churches, many denominations, even in this area, many well-known pastors who are questioning uh, the legitimacy of the virgin birth. Before we're, so before we can even discuss the power of Christmas, which is the virgin birth, first we must unfortunately defend the power of Christmas, which is the virgin birth. As we think about Christmas, the thing that makes Christmas so special is that through the birth of Jesus in the town of Bethlehem, uh, that Jesus was born to uh, the Virgin Mary in the town of Bethlehem, and thus fulfilling many of the Old Testament prophecies that referred to the Messiah. Of all those prophecies, probably one is more widely known, more well-known uh, than any of them, and it's, it's central to our topic tonight of the virgin birth, and that is Isaiah chapter 7, uh, verse 14, which says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name. Emmanuel. We see that this prophecy is later fulfilled through Matthew's use of this prophecy and his uh, uh, quoting of this prophecy in uh, his gospel. Uh, I'm going to read starting in verse uh, 18 um, and following down through uh, verse 23. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 through 23 says this, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, just uh, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he taught about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid God, tonight, as we look into your word, as we we talk about the virgin birth, God, I pray that you'd help us to see that the power of Christmas is the virgin birth, God. I pray that you'd help us to see that through the virgin birth, God, ultimately, we were able to experience our salvation, God, and you were able to deliver us from our sentence. So God, I pray that tonight that you would speak through me, and I pray that your message would be clear. Praise your name. Amen. So God's word is clear uh, in both passages Uh, that Jesus' birth was indeed a virgin birth. Um, This is by any standards miraculous. No other person throughout human history has ever uh, been born of a virgin, and so naturally people question it. When something miraculous happens in the Bible, people will always question uh, the miraculous. Uh, Many in the church will challenge and say that the word virgin just means a regular old young lady. It's not referring to someone who is sexually pure. However, if you look a little bit closer, that is, that is just not at all even conceivable. The Hebrew word used in Isaiah chapter 14, or chapter 7, verse 14, is the Hebrew word alma. This word carries the meaning of a young, marriageable lady. And that center word marriageable is key to the interpretation of that verse. Many today have taken this term out of its original context and applied our culture to the word. However, there is a huge gap between our culture and the culture of the Old Testament. Today, the term young lady does not mean much. It just refers to a female of a certain age group. However, in the Old Testament, uh, this word, Alma, was a very loaded term. And I feel like if anyone on staff, I'm going to take a, take a step away here, if anyone on staff who's able to talk about loaded worms, loaded worms, loaded words, uh, as a... as. <laughs> Got me. Uh, as a millennial, I am able to speak of loaded words because the word millennial is a loaded word. And I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to prove a point here by using the word millennial as an example. If you read an article from the year 2000 about millennials, the meaning of that word would be just that it would mean a millennial. There would be no connotations applied to it. There would be no meaning surrounding it. However, if you read an article in 2018 about the word millennial, that is a very, very loaded word, and you have to be very careful about what the author means by the word millennial. Is he making an insult here, or is he just referring to a specific age group? And so we see that this word al because of the culture of Israel, is a very loaded term. Alma would have referred to a marriageable young lady. This word marriageable is very important here. In the Old Testament, sexual purity of a young lady was of the utmost importance in the culture. Many today have said that uh, this uh, term does not necessarily refer to a virgin. However, an Alma is what is being sought by Isaac in Genesis chapter 24. And Alma is is, is someone who was desired as a wife. And Isaac, of all people, would not have desired someone who was not sexually pure. That use of the word as, as meaning a young, marriageable woman who was a virgin is consistent throughout the whole Old Testament. So the fact that some people in the church today want to translate this word as anything other than a young, marriageable woman who was a virgin is simply, is lazy. It's lazy interpretation, and it's not true. But, but to, to further prove that point, let's look at, let's look at Matthew. We read, we read the passage in Matthew about how Joseph reacted to the, the announcement of Jesus' birth. Joseph, when he heard that Mary was pregnant, when there was any question of her sexual purity, he immediately had questions. And the Bible even said he was going to put her away quietly so that she wouldn't have to face the the culture of the day, because the culture of the day would have just absolutely raked her over the coals. It would not have been out of the ordinary for her to be stoned for her sexual immorality. So we see that sexual uh, purity is of utmost uh, concern, uh, both in the Old Testament and at the time of Mary. But what about the Greek word in the New Testament? Because there's a Greek word in the New Testament that is used, uh, and it is parthenos. Uh, this is the Greek word that is also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is known as the Septuagint. That is just, it's a translation that uh, the Greek people did of the Old Testament. That way, Greek people could read the Old Testament as well. There's very, very little debate in, in, theolo- in the theological world surrounding this term. Most people everywhere consider this word to mean a marriageable young lady who's a virgin, the same exact meaning of Alma in the Old Testament. So based on the historical context and the use of the language in both the Old and New Testament, uh, both passages must be understood to refer to a young lady who is to considered to be marriageable, which must also mean that the young lady was sexually pure and thus a virgin. Any other translation is irresponsible and lazy. So now that we've established that both passages refer to a virgin, that there's no debate to to whether or not the Bible, which is God's word, refers to an actual virgin. Here's the question. Why does it matter? Why why, Why are we taking 30 minutes tonight to talk about the virgin birth? What is so important about the virgin birth that we would take the time out of our busy schedules to talk about the virgin birth? To quote Jerry Vines, Jerry Vines said this in my Bible in a note. He said, Some say that the virgin birth does not matter, but the virgin birth is absolutely essential to the gospel. No virgin birth would have meant no gospel. If Jesus had not been born of a virgin, he would have had an earthly father. If Jesus had an earthly father, he would have been born a sinner. If he had been born a sinner, he would have not have been from God. If, not, if Jesus is not of God, then he cannot be our sinless Savior. If Jesus is not our sinless Savior, then we do not have a Savior from sin, and the gospel goes crashing to the ground. The virgin birth does matter. Because Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, at the very least, he was special, he was different. But because Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, because he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, and because of the evidence that his life provides for us, the virgin birth proves to be one of the most powerful and important events in all of human history. Through the virgin birth, Jesus comes to the earth as the God-man. Emmanuel, God with us, had come. And how powerful that would prove to be the power of Christmas was the incarnation of Jesus. It was the virgin birth of Jesus. The power of Christmas is that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth to be with his creation. And so tonight when we look at the life of Christ through the virgin birth, the first thing that we see in terms of the power of Christmas is we see that Christmas has the power to reveal God to us through the virgin birth. To understand this, we have to go all the way back to creation. A lot like anything else in the Bible. You have to go all the way back to the beginning. And we see in the very beginning that Jesus created the earth, and he created it perfect. And over six days, he created all this stuff. And on the sixth day, he created man. And man was his special creation that God's word says was his special creation that he created in his image. And, and, and over the next chapter... Genesis tells of how Jesus spent time in the garden with these people or with Adam and Eve, his creation, and how he loved them and how they were perfect and good and man messed up. Man messed up. And then immediately as Pastor Shane talked about last week, God gives us the promise of Christmas. He says, "I am going to send my son through this woman to crush your head, Satan." And then over the rest of the Old Testament, it is the journey of how we get from point A to point B. It's how we get from the fall to the Savior. And throughout that time, God doesn't just leave Jesus alone. Throughout the whole Old Testament, as Mark talked about last Sunday night, we see the prophecies of Christmas. And eventually we get to the virgin birth, where Jesus comes and he's fully God and fully man. God was with his creation. And through that, through God being with his creation, through Jesus fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah, where where Emmanuel would come, where God would be with us, we see and we can see the true nature of who God is. We can see a piece of God's character through that. Flip with me, if you will, in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, starting in verse 7, says this. Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And then Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Philip does what any of us in this room does. They've been asking Jesus questions on and off for for a long time now, and Philip finally says, all right, Jesus, level with me. I'm sick and tired of going back and forth. If you just show us God, we'll be happy. We'll leave you alone. Just show us God. Verse 9, Jesus says uh, to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak to you on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. See, through the life of Christ, and Jesus even says this here in this passage, through the life of Christ, we can see a picture of who God is, and that is a very powerful thing. You see, throughout the whole Old Testament, the Israelites—any time they even went into the presence of God, there was consequences. You see, in the in the, the sacrificial practices of the Israelites, if someone went before God in an unholy manner, they were they were dead. They had to be pulled out of the holy of holies by an ankle attached to their to the, by a rope attached to their ankle. But here was Jesus. God with us, the God-man on earth, walking with people, and people could see God in the flesh right in front of them. No longer did they have to wonder who God was. No longer did they have to wonder what God was like. They could just sit there and look at him and and observe what his actions were and observe what he did. So many people in today's world ask, well, you know, who is God? Just look at Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says Jesus is God. Jesus even here says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you want to know who God is, get to know Jesus. And unfortunately, so many of us, and I'm including myself in this, neglect studying the Gospels, neglect studying the, the, the life account of who Jesus was, and we miss an opportunity to get to see a revelation of who God truly is. And in that revelation of who God truly is, we see the second way that Christmas is powerful. Not only, do we, not only does Christmas have the power to reveal God to us, but Christmas has the power to exemplify holiness for us. You see, God, when he sent Jesus to this earth, he didn't just send Jesus to this earth as a man, right? We talked about this. He sent Jesus to this earth because he was the son of God, born of of Mary. He was the son of God, born of Mary. He was fully God and fully man. And and we get to see Jesus is fully man uh, over in Matthew chapter four, just a little bit after uh, the account of the birth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter four, you don't have to flip there if you don't want to, but you can if you do. Uh, In Matthew chapter four, we see this account uh, of Jesus being tempted by Satan. And what's amazing to me, what stuck out to me as I was studying this this week, uh, we see uh, that uh, in verses one through th- one through three, we see the humanity of God. We see that then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil. Then we had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he was hungry. That's comforting to me, right? Like that's comforting to me to know that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and he was hungry. Like, that shows that God was fully man, right? Like, he, he didn't just have this supernatural ability to avoid being hungry. He was fully man. He was just like you and me, and that he was fully man. But in this passage of Scripture, we see that he's also fully God. We see that he resists the temptations of the devil. And, and you can go and study that on your own time. But he goes through, and he, he resists temptation after temptation after temptations. Three times he resists temptations from the devil directly, and is able to, to hold off those temptations uh, from the devil and in that, he exemplifies what it looks like to live a life of holiness. In this passage of Scripture, we, we see that to be holy, you've got to have some kind of relationship with the Spirit. Jesus just happened to be born of the Spirit. But not only that, we see that you have to be in the Word. So you have to be in the Word and in the Spirit. Jesus quoted three times Scriptures fighting off these temptations. So, so if, you want to ex- or if you want to follow Christ's example for holiness in your life, if you want to resist holiness in your life, you need to follow Christ's example and, and be in the Spirit and be in the Word. But also if you look over in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is, is, is looking back over his ministry and is, is writing this letter, and, and in verse 21 um, he says this. He says, For to, uh, for to you, uh, for to this For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we uh, that we having died to our sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed see what Peter's saying here is that that Christ was an example, a perfect example of what it looks like to live a holy life when when Christ faced trials and temptations he, he responded with love he responded with, with with godliness but yet so many times in our lives we we respond with things that are not love and not godliness. And again, people question, well, what does it look like to live a holy life? Through the virgin birth, we have uh, a-, a picture of what a holy life looks like. And so as Christians, we're not in the dark. We, we have an example to look to. But ultimately, like anything in the Bible, um, there's a deeper... and and more powerful uh, thing about Christmas than even, even these two things that we've talked about. Not only does Christmas have the power to reveal God to us, not only does Christmas have the power to exemplify holiness for us, but Christmas has the power to take our sentence from us. The ultimate power of the virgin birth of Christ was that through the virgin birth of Christ, through Jesus coming to earth as fully God and fully man, that made a way for our sentence to be taken from us. You see, the Bible's clear in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says the wages of sin is death. Earlier in the book, Paul writes, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So therefore, every, Christ, or every person is sentenced to a life separated from God in a literal place called hell. But just like Paul doesn't wait long to, to reveal the answer, The Bible doesn't wait long to reveal the answer either in the case of Jesus. Paul, later in verse 623, says, But the gift of God is eternal life. We look at John 3.16, one of the most widely known passages of Scripture in the whole world. and It has the virgin birth in it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, the only son that he had here on this earth, that whosoever... Would believe in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. But as I was studying this week, no, no passage of scripture stood out more clearly to me in terms of Christmas having the power to take our sins from us than 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 17, Paul writes this He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled uh, to Himself uh, us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though god we're pleading through us we implore you on christ's behalf be reconciled to god for he made him god made jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god you can't talk about christmas without talking about the cross the, the point of jesus coming to this earth was to deliver us from our sins. The point of Jesus coming to this earth was not just so that we can go to Walmart on the day after Thanksgiving and buy a bunch of presents for, for some distant relative that we haven't seen in two years. The point of Christmas was so that Jesus would come to this earth so that we could be delivered from our sins. So the question I have to ask you tonight is, have you experienced that power of Christmas? If the power of Christmas through the virgin birth of Christ, if, if Jesus came to this earth as the God-man, lived a sinless life, so that he could not only be victorious as God, but be the perfect sacrifice as man. So that he, when he went to the cross, he died on the cross, was buried for three days, and then rose again from the, de- from the dead, claiming victory over the grave, so that you could have eternal life. Have you, have you experienced that power? If not, like I said, Christmas is just another holiday. You can go on about your business. You can do whatever you want to do. If you, if you don't want to have anything to do with it, it's just another holiday. It's meaningless. You can say happy holidays all you want because it doesn't have any meaning. And so I guess the better question is tonight, will you experience the power of Christmas? It's sitting there waiting for you. The power of Christmas has already been fulfilled. The power of Christmas was fulfilled in the virgin birth. The power of Christmas was brought to us when Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross for your sins. Will you take the free gift of salvation that's sitting there waiting for you? Will you allow the power of Christmas to take your sentence from you so that you can follow the example of Christ so that one day you will get to know who God truly is and spend an eternity with him in heaven? So tonight, will you, if you haven't experienced it yet, tonight, will you experience the power of Christmas? Let's pray. Tonight you're here and you've never experienced the power of Christmas before. It's really simple. The gospel has been laid before you. Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died your death that you deserved. The death that Paul wrote about in in, in Romans was your death. That was the death that you deserved, but Jesus came and put your sins on himself so that you would not have to experience that death. So tonight, will you experience the power of Christmas? The Bible's very clear. In order to do that, all you have to do is put your trust in God, admit that you're a sinner, and confess him as the Lord of your life. So tonight, if that's you, tonight, if you want to make a decision to follow Christ, just just cry out to God. Just say, God, maybe, 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 maybe you don't know how to do that. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sins can separate me or will separate me from you for eternity. But tonight, I'm telling you that I believe that you're the Savior, and I'm asking you to come into my life and to save me. And the Bible says that that when you do that, that he comes into your life and he is the savior of life and you have that eternal life that I was just talking about and your sentence has been taken from you so you can thank God. Do not, if you pray that prayer, just say, God, thank you for saving me.